The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Shannon. Good morning, Nancy, and good morning to everybody that's out there. Welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nancy. <laughs> and I'm so grateful to be here with you this morning, Nancy. I have a question for you that I, um, I'm just going to throw this curveball at you because um, I, I am talking to somebody later on and um, I know that you were brilliant and started a special needs ministry at your church. Yes. And and I feel like I've had several people recently talking about how um, they really would like something at that at their church. And I'm just wondering yeah. if if you would be willing, um, you know, on a, uh, as a consultant to to go into a church and help them to figure out how to set that up. Sure. It was really, it's relatively simple. We just picked a set. We did it on Saturdays at five o'clock mm -hmm. and I could talk to them about what we did for our service. Uh, we had a yeah. lot of contemporary music and uh, we also followed it with a meal um, that was gluten-free and dairy-free for the kiddos and everybody brought things. So it was kind of like potluck, but it was, we, I did that for a couple of years and obviously with COVID we're not doing it anymore. <laughs> Right. But what I recall is that you, you know, you, you had this thing and all of the, the families that qualified in, at least in, in their hearts as special needs families would come and participate at that event. But what I recall, Nancy, is that you got other people from your church community to participate and be there and that it was an opportunity for them to get to know the family, get to know the kids and get to be outside of the regular church service uh -huh. because some sometimes it's our kids in the church service that you know you know what i mean about how people turn and give you that death right. glare when your kiddo is making a noise and you're like i'm at church right uh, like this is the place where i would like to feel no judgment from exactly. the fellowship yeah um so i i think that in particular and, it, and as much as, you know, in COVID, it's really hard um, to do some of these things, although we hope that as the year progresses, that it'll be easier to do them. But I think that even that aspect of it, I think that could potentially be done um, even in COVID on Zoom. Uh -huh. um, and, and that maybe there's a possibility that it would actually be a smidge easier because I do know that, especially a lot of older folks, they're very noise sensitive. And sometimes our kids are, you know, if our kids have a stim where they make noise, that can be very disruptive for the elderly folks. 
But on Zoom, you can mute that. Right. Um, so I'm wondering if, uh, you know, so I'm going to pick your brain later on. Okay, great. Because uh, I know you're a leader in this area. But anyway, hey, uh, everybody, we're really excited about the show today and excited to be here with you. We are live on uh, several different platforms. We're live right now uh, on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And we are encouraging you guys to be writing in on those three platforms. We are also live on sites, and we encourage you uh, to also write in on those platforms, but I will tell you, it's a lot harder for us to get your comments this week. I don't know if that will change in the future, but we're already saying good morning to Becca, who's watching on YouTube, to Nasser and Mary, and to Avani on Facebook. So good morning to all of you. Now, if you want to watch the show later on, we continue to have this show recorded on those big three uh, later on. Good morning to Alexis. Um, I, I'm going to address that in just a second. Thank you. Uh, so we, if you're watching us recorded, though, and it's not on those big three, let me just tell you, there's, we're available every place you get your podcast, and it's free. We're a free download. We encourage you to choose. Do you want to watch it and listen, or do you just want to listen? We're available, like I said, everywhere. If you can't find us where you get podcasts, please let us know because we would like to be where you get your podcasts. Saying hello to Lucy. And Lucy, I'm so bad at the abbreviations. Nancy, is that Michigan? It's is Michigan. 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 So thrilled that you're here with us, Lucy. All those M states, I get confused about, you know, is MA Massachusetts or is it Maine? You know what I'm saying? I think Maine is MN. How yeah. do I get off on this tangent? I think Maine <laughs> is ME. Maine is yeah. ME, I think. ME? ME. ME. So there we go. It's all confusing to me. Uh, but Lucy's here from Michigan, we believe. So, so thrilled to have you here, Lucy. But anyway, back to the podcast. Please make sure that um, find us where you need to. But if you're watching us in podcast and want to write in um, because you have a question, you can do that on our homepage, which is autism-live.com. There's a chat button at the bottom. You open it up and you type what you want and it shows up on our, our chat site. It is not an automatic responder. You're not going to get a bot who immediately writes you back. In fact, there is no way. It's not interactive. We can only see it. We can't write you back. So if you want us to write you back or call you, you need to leave that information. It's private. Nobody but me gets to see it. Um, so, and you can also always email me. Oh, Lucy, do you get confused about the M-E-M-I? Oh, so I'm, I feel better about that then. Uh, so Alexis said you should get someone on from this disability ministry sometime, maybe uh, even do an interview swap with, uh, with them with your son. Uh, so that would be interesting, Nancy, to have somebody from a, uh, from disability ministry to come on. And, um, you know, I think that you and Wyatt speaking about your ministry would be absolutely fabulous. I know you guys aren't doing it right now, but talking about how you start it. Right. Um, I think we need to do more information on that at some and point. And Shannon, you were, we did have a lot of people from our church that volunteered, that brought food and volunteered to come to the service. And so it was a way for them to get familiar with autism and some other disabilities. Well, and as I recall, uh, you know, one of the things that I noticed about it too, Nancy, is that you had some of the elderly folks that, um, that showed up. And yeah. I, I remember thinking... 
isn't this interesting that we're doing this so as a service for you were not we but you're doing it for as a service for the special needs community to feel like they have a home at the church that they have fellowship and the added thing of having other people from the fellowship join but i noticed that there were some people who probably don't have a big social life that were so thrilled to be there they were so thrilled to have a place to go yes. so there were so many ways that it was of service to your community and we call wow. it the exceptional families rather than a disability ministry. There you go. I love that. Uh, hey, Lucy says, I'm a mom of a 12-year-old uh, as well with Discovery Toys. You know, I talk about Discovery Toys on the show because I happen to love them. Um, and we, we end up, every year we review a bunch of toys and we do a toy guide. The toy guide is available right now for the, the 2020 year. Uh, is available right now on our website. If you go to autism-live.com and at the top, there's a little icon that says toy guide. If you click on it, you can see all the toys that we picked from this last year. And, you know, uh, it's amazing to me because at some point I'm going to have picked the entire catalog from Discovery Toys because they're just really good toys. You know how when you used to watch uh, like baby Einstein videos, Nancy, mm -hmm. did you do those with why? And sometimes they would just have these like toys that you would look at them and you go, oh, okay, these are really high quality individual toys. Where do you get those toys? I was like, what toy store are they at? I love a good toy store and I was never seeing those toys. And then I found out it's because a lot of them are discovery toys. So check them out. Um, and uh, Lucy, if you want to, because I know... Um, it's, it's one of those things where you have to find a dealer, um, somebody who deals with discovery toys, Lucy, if you want to on Facebook, put your link there. So if people want to check out discovery toys, um, you can help them to do that. Uh, oh, and she bought some of the other toys that we had from other, uh, yeah, I love the toy guide. The toy guide is, is one of the most stressful, but most fun times of the year for me. I'll tell you what I like better is when we get to give away all the samples. That's my more fun thing. Uh, but playing with the toys is super fun. Nancy knows that I mm -hmm. love playing with toys. There we go. And Luz, so if, if you're listening and you're like, I don't know about Discovery Toys, go on our Facebook uh, for this show. And Lucy just put up her link. You can go to the website. You can check out toys. And if you want to buy one, you buy one through Lucy. So why, why not? Uh, I love it when we support each other. So, um, Nancy, we've got some uh, news stories, um, some that are uh, more in uh, sadder than others. Let's say mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, can we start? I'm going to go out of order a little bit. Can oh, we okay. Start, um, can we start with the one about anorexia? Yes, that's not out of order. That's the first one. Okay, good. I'm glad. Yes. Uh, so um, this is an actual study, is it not, Shannon? That you yes. found. Yeah, I I love on Spectrum News. They now have a, a community newsletter where they'll, where they'll consolidate. I don't know about you, Nancy, but every morning I get my thing from the New York Times where it sort of consolidates all of the news for the last right. 24 hours. Right. And it basically gives me headlines, and then I can go in and click, and I can pick to go in depth on any of the headlines, right, but it right. just, for a busy person, it gives you an overview. Well, I love that Spectrum is starting to do that for the autism community. And that's oh, how I got, 
that's how I got hip to this story. Um, but we're, we're talking about um, anorexia. And this is the thing that I don't, I don't know that I knew this until Dr. Grand Pichet told me this, like, I don't know, two, three years ago. Did you know that um, there is a higher incidence of anorexia in the um, female autism community? Did you know that that was a thing? I did not know that. And according to this article, um, it's 20 to uh, 30% of women in treatment display diagnostic features characteristic of autism. That's a huge yeah, so, percentage. So of all the people who display anorexia um, uh, symptoms, 20 to 30% of them also uh, exhibit, may not have a full diagnosis, but exhibits uh, characteristics of autism. But it's also true the other way too, that if you have, especially, this doesn't leave out boys, but especially for the girls, if you have a girl who's on the autism spectrum, that um, you need to keep an eye on um, because statistically they are much more likely to have some form of anorexia nervosa, which is a very concerning thing. Um, and, and what this study, what I gleaned from it, and thank goodness we have Leah Hirschfeld joining us later, who's so much better at research. But what I gleaned from it, Nancy, is that because this number is so high, um, that they really need to be looking at the ways in which they treat anorexia because they're not taking what what someone who is on the spectrum from how they experience therapy is that what you got from it that's what i got from this study exactly that um they need to approach it through the lens of possibly having somebody on the spectrum dealing with a young woman on the spectrum um when they have the diagnosis of uh, anorexia nervosa and if you think about it, um, you know, the first time that Dr. Grampichet explained to me and said that, you know, anorexia is is very much a thing in the autism community, um, it, it comes sort of under that heading of um, the ritualistic behaviors okay. that, you know, we see our kids sometimes line up cars on the floor or they're like, we have to go down this street to get to the school and we can't go down that street that very, I must do it this way, I can't do it another way thinking, um, if that gets transferred over to food and to body image is uh -huh. when you find yourself in some uh, you know, serious waters with the potential of anorexia nervosa. But how amazing is it they're starting to go, well, hey, if this is a significant portion of the population, then we should be looking at how they experience treatment and potentially changing treatment as a result of that. So I, um, I'm glad that they're at least looking at this and that we have a trend in this where we're looking at healthcare for people on the spectrum and taking into consideration their point of view, Yes, which doesn't that feel like the biggest duh in the world? Like, why did it take us so long to get here? But at least we're starting to get there. Right. Uh, now, Nancy, <coughs> um, because I want to end with the Abel Coffee story that you brought, okay. but we have because I I know that this other that we're going to cover is is such sad news. Yes, um, that we covered a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, that um, Christopher Miller, um, who was a wonderful nineteen year old wonderful advocate, 
had had an accident and that he subsequently passed away. Uh, just uh, a devastating thing. And I, I didn't realize when we covered it the last time, we were talking about how it was um, an, an accident where he fell off the back of the truck. We now have more information about it. And I think appropriately, the, the family has asked for an investigation to figure out why this happened, because it seems like something that really should not have happened. Right. He was in the back of a truck, a pickup truck. He was working and as part of a program and was loading things onto the back of the truck, but he, um, the truck then drove away and he was standing on the back of the truck and fell because mm -hmm. anybody who's ever been in a homecoming parade and been on, or been on a, any kind of a float, you know, if you're not holding on and a vehicle moves, um, bad things are going to happen. And he right. did, he did fall from the truck. He hit his head. And, um, you know, they, when we last spoke about it, they were still hoping that after they got him off of certain, certain medications where they're going to be able to be brainwaves, um, that is not what happened. And he subsequently passed away. I have, but I'm looking to see where I can find it on his Facebook page. Right. And they, they still are taking, um, uh, donations um for the family and for his burial but um they posted I can read, I can read that statement Shannon if, if okay I just found it but if you'd like to go for it Nancy you go right okay. ahead uh on from his Facebook page what I want you to know my name is Christopher Ryan Paul Miller I want you to know I was amazing I overcame hardships and hurdles throughout my short life that few could compare I had dreams lots of them to become a forest ranger, a pro fisherman, a historian, and one day even a husband and father. I was a comedian. I loved bringing laughter to those I loved with my crab walks and tummy jiggles. I loved Olive Garden Red Lobster and Rubens from Arby's. I loved music, especially the oldies like Billy Joel and Buddy Holly. I loved fishing and hunting and loving all animals. I was strong, brave, adventurous, and courageous. I had no fear. I was Captain Spectrum, a hero for the ones born with intellectual and physical disabilities. I was always full of love and always looking for ways to help others. My smile was beautiful and contagious. I misunderstood. I was misunderstood and complex, but patient and kind. I loved so deeply and fervently. I cared for the world I lived in and the people around me. I want you to know I loved and was, and I was loved, loved Christopher. And then it says my journey and advocacy work will continue from my family, friends, and my brother Curtis, who is also autistic. They will all make sure that Captain Spectrum and I live on to help such a beautiful statement. Yes, and um, and and I'm glad that his family, uh, you know, they're doing as well as I think that they can do. I'm glad that they're asking questions. It is so important that uh, we make sure that what happened to him did, does not happen to somebody else. Um, but thanks for reading that, Nancy. That was really lovely. And then our last story today to kind of give us after something so emotional to give us something really hopeful. That's why I wanted to do the stories in this way. And this was a story that you brought to my attention, Nancy.
Nancy. Tell us about this wonderful and and why you this really resonated with you. I love this story. Um, in uh, Huntington Beach, California, there is a coffee shop um, and coffee business because they also deliver. They have carts that go around, and it's called Able Coffee, and that reflects what it is. The blend is competence and purpose, in addition to some really great coffee. Uh, two special needs teachers from Huntington Beach, uh, one with a background as a behaviorist, the other um, as a background as a teacher. Uh, I think they both they both had, were teachers at the Irvine Unified School District, and their names are Anthony Palmieri and Ad Adele, Adil Asif. Um, they created, they wanted the idea of creating a space where people like the students they worked with could find employment because they noticed that a lot of the kids were aging out at the age of 22, as we know, that's where my son's going to age out of the system as well. And parents oftentimes don't, you know, and, and students don't know what to, where to turn to next. So they created this coffee shop and it's got all kinds of cool things that tie in like the names of the coffee sensory latte is one that somebody likes to order a regular there and they have um other autism friendly um decor the mirror in the restroom is shaped like a puzzle piece the blue color motif expands from the walls to the coffee maker so this is a really cool idea that these two young men have come up with Really amazing. And I don't know about you, but um, Nancy shared this story with me the other day and I took one look at it. Mm. And I don't, I don't know why, but all this week, uh, Joanne Laura has been very present in my thoughts mm -hmm. for many different reasons. Uh, but I certainly thought of Joanne because this is precisely, it's probably because a year ago uh, this week, um, this is precisely what, what Joanne was working on, was that she mm -hmm. was trying to open a coffee shop here in Los Angeles, um, because you know she had glorious pies that was a truck that would go to events, but they they were doing so many events that they wanted to open a storefront and have it be a brick and mortar um, coffee shop, and that was something she was desperately trying to do, hoping that she had longer to be on this planet. That was not meant to be. And we can all have our feelings about that because, you know, Joanne passed away um, in June, very beginning of June last year. And, uh, and there is no coffee shop. And I'm hoping that at some point uh, that that will still come to pass because I know how much it meant to Joanne. And this kind of work, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, Nancy, because I know why it worked for Autism Works Now and worked on yes. the Glorious Pies truck. And, you know, we've been in COVID now for quite a while and everything sort of stopped when COVID, you know, on March 13th. But um, there's at least one of the young people who uh, worked at, at, at Glorious Pies who calls me uh, just to check in. And I, you know, I think it's part of Joanne passing that Joanne was like, call Shannon now. Shannon will take your call and we chat on the phone and it become friends. Uh -huh. And, and he said to me the other day, he said, I just want to get back to work. That's, that's all I want to do. I want to get back to work. And it's important for me to work. And, and I know so many people who feel that way. And I just want to remind everybody that 
what Joanne always taught me that folks on the autism spectrum want and deserve that too. Yes. And anytime yes. we can hire and be cognizant of that, and it's not just the high functioning people, folks. I, I used to think that I was like, well, not everybody with autism is going to have a job. And Joanne like would, you know, say to me, you know, where's that thinking coming from? Like everyone deserves to have a job. Um, and then I got to see it in action when she would do it. And it was something that changed how I viewed the world. Uh, yes, to see yes. She had the full range of the spectrum working at Glorious Pies. All the kids did something, all the young people did something. And uh, at Able Coffee, I think it's uh, worth noting that they employ 15 part-timers, uh, 10 of whom have disabilities ranging from mild to severe. A lot of the more severe, uh, the diagnosis was se that is severe autism, they do things like stamp the coffee cups. And, you know, there can be a place for everybody at the table, as Joanne said. That's right. And everybody deserves that. Hey, uh, Nancy, uh, off topic, but somebody wrote in and wants to know, when you did your special needs ministry, was there a pastor that gave a message at the events? Yes, um, there, was. Or was there Or was there a class that you guys would do or a topic that you would do? Not a class, but my min the head minister, Father Rand Reasoner, would do a message or Father Onesimus, our assistant pastor, would do a message. So uh, it was a combination of prayer, singing, worship music, and a sermon, and also taking communion. Love that. Love that. All right. Well, um, so those are our news stories for today. We jumped around a little. Sorry for that. But, um, and I don't, is Leah here yet? I can't tell, um, Traven. My screen is, my computer is having like, I don't know what. Uh, uh Yes. She oh, she's there. Okay, yes, great. I'm here. Wonderful. Yes, I see that now. So why don't we welcome her? So uh, Leah Hirschfeld joins us regularly whenever we can have her. And she is from the research arm of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Uh, Leah, I don't see your, there you are. There you are. Uh, so thrilled to have you back on the show. Tell us a little bit about what you do in the research arm and what that is at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. Yeah, of course. Um, thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, I It's always such a highlight to get to come on. Um, so I am a research coordinator here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. And, uh, oh, I got my name. Um, <laughs> and, and what that means is that I get to spend my day trying to um, figure out the best ways that we can use our resources um, most thoughtfully for our families, our patients, and honestly, even our um, insurance companies, because they're a huge part of it as well. Um, and so what that means is that um, supervisors will come and ask me questions and I get to send them back research articles, um, or I might be helping with a research study design, um, recruiting participants, running them through a study, um, and then analyzing the data and writing up a manuscript so that that gets out to the public so that all of our hard work doesn't just stay at card. Um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. And then, of course, monthly I get to come on here. Um, unless Karen Karen Nolte takes it over, she comes on um, once every quarter. She's our director of research, so um, very exciting when you all get her as well. Um, but yeah, that's and and it's great fun. It's it's a cool team to be a part of, and cool family card is a cool family to be a part of. So it's it's great. Leah, well, I love it when you're here because you make yeah, sense of things for us. Yeah. Um, and today, wait till you hear. Hold on, Shannon. I was going to ask okay. Leah, what were you saying, Shannon? 
No, you go ahead, Nancy. Oh, I wanted to know if Leah heard our first story from in the news about eating disorders and autism. I didn't actually. I caught the tail end and and um, but this is the second part and and was very touched by the coffee shop. I yeah. know when I was a behavior technician, we did that at a high school actually, and it was oh, awesome. Okay. But I, I didn't get to hear the first story. Yeah, Shannon found a, a study. It was an actual study that linked um, anorexia nervosa to uh, young women on the autism spectrum. And they found that there was a much higher percentage, 20 to 30%, in fact, were found to have uh, autism as well as an eating disorder. So maybe yeah, something I, that we can do some more research on later on and have you talk about that. But today, Nancy, I didn't get a chance to tell you this because I had forgotten what we were talking about today. Mm -hmm. um, but this was something that you guys had asked about that she's going to talk with us today about handwriting and its connection, all the research that's been done about handwriting and autism, because this, for some of us, now I know why it has beautiful handwriting. I am so jealous, Nancy. Hmm. He has absolutely beautiful handwriting and has, since I met him, my child, it's, you know, it's an entirely different story. And it has been a struggle. And, um, you know, so I'm all ears here, Leah. So Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited. Um, and and um, Shannon, I'm glad you plugged uh, that. This is a question we got from a family. Um, so we do take requests on the research team. We prefer it, actually. Um, so if there's any questions y'all want answered, um, you know, we, we come on once a month, so it might take us a minute to get back to you. But we'd love to hear what you guys want. Um, I, I think the eating disorders is an very sad topic, but something that needs to be discussed. Um, and I, I do believe there's a lot of research, or at least some. Um, and I'm certainly happy to dig into that and kind of figure out what that is and talk to Karen more about like clinical interventions and things on, on that topic. But if that's any, if there's anyone else that has any other thoughts, any other topics, please send them in. Um, anyway, so handwriting. Um, super interesting topic. Uh, and I will say I was surprised um, when I got the question, I started researching it. And I know, obviously, right, motor skills is going to be a huge component of handwriting. Um, but then as I was looking more into the research, what was really interesting um, was just how much goes into handwriting. Um, it is not just motor, right? Like, you also really need to be cognitively aware of what's going on, what your next step's going to be, what if you're going to go up to make that T or over to make that A, and it's, there's a lot. I was just astounded this morning. I was like, it's amazing I can write. Um, so, so really interesting topic, and there's a lot more there than just motor skills. Um, and it's still really important, right? Like, I know there's a lot more about phones and computers and tablets, and those are awesome, awesome tools. But there's still a lot going on at schools where you need to be able to take notes. You need to be able to answer that, read that question on a, on a test. Um, and I think it can be really frustrating for folks if it takes too long to write or if a teacher constantly asks them what that word is or marks them wrong because they can't read it, right? So it's a really important topic. It can be super frustrating. Um, and now that I've given that whole spiel about why it's so cool, let me tell you about the research article I'm going to talk about. Um, so this is a study that came out in 2019. It's by Rosenblum, Rosenblum and colleagues in, um, coming out of Haifa, Israel. Um, and what they looked at was they were like, that's great. Motor skills are super important to handwriting. We have studies already about that. There's a study by Fuentes, which I'm sure I butchered that name, F-U-E-N-T-E-S, coming out of the um, Craig Kennedy Institute. 
Um, and that came out about a decade ago, 2009. And that showed that motor skills are totally productive and predictive of handwriting. Totally makes sense. Um, but what this Rosenblum study wanted to show was what else is going on, right? We know, like I just said, that handwriting is not just motor. There's all these cognitive functions. Is there something about the cognitive functions as well that um, is connecting to handwriting that's important? Um, and so what they wanted to look at was really those higher level functions, and so they did. So they took 30 children with autism, um, and they took 30 children not with autism, and they matched them on age, on school year, on gender, on IQ, and on hand dominance. So that's super important because some people will throw in like, oh, they're a bunch of lefties. I don't know that that's true, that lefties have any bad handwriting, but they made sure hand dominance was, was um, everyone was matched. Um, and they also, you know, one of the limitations of the study um, is that they didn't look at anyone who's nonverbal um, or any anyone who had any other deficits. So everyone had um, was verbal, everyone had basic writing skills, no one had mental or physical impairments that would um, have also affected handwriting. And it, the reason for this is that they're really, the researchers are really trying to dig just like purely into, you have an autism diagnosis, does that affect your cognitive levels and correlate to handwriting? Um, and just purely that, right? They're not looking at verbal delays or anything like that, that connection. Um, and so what they did was they had all of the children write a story about other children playing in a yard. And it was a free write, so that, you know, no one was tracing a sentence or anything. Um, and they put a piece of paper on top of a tablet and a, had a um, wireless electronic ink pen with a sensitive tip to collect the data. So they wrote on the iPad and all that data got collected onto a laptop. Um, and that information gives you, you know, um, legibility and um, how long it was taking to write. And also they were looking at like how long the pen's in the air and all this stuff. There's a lot that goes into handwriting. Um, and then on top of that, they asked parents to fill out a form. Um, these kids are nine to 12. Um, so they asked parents to fill out a form that looked at cognitive measures for the child. So that's getting into, you know, working, getting into memory, getting into planning, getting into organization, um, getting into emotional control, the ability to shift between concepts and activities, um, which all, as you think about it, really plays a factor in handwriting, right? You have to, okay, I want to do the H next. Like, there's a lot going on. Um, and then on top of that as well, so we've got um, the writing, you know, people, the measurement of the writing, they've got a measurement of cognitive um, abilities, and then they also had the children take a test on motor coordination and visual perception. We know motor is going to going to play a factor, but then also just visual perception have a have an effect. Is there something going on with um, the ability to recognize shapes or something like that that might also have an effect? Um, and so now I get to get to the good part about what they found. So they found that motor deficits does correlate to handwriting deficits. That's kind of expected. One of the interesting things that they found was that visual perception actually was not different between the groups. Um, and they found a huge variance, a really large variance in the ability of the children in visual perception, regardless of their group, indicating that visual perception actually is probably not a concern. Um, and I know actually, Nancy, I think we've talked about Wyatt before being an artist. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you guys even mentioned he has beautiful handwriting. And one of the things the researchers actually mentioned, and I love that we get, I get to say, because I always come on and talk about like deficits and things, um, which I, I wish I had a better word for. Um, but one of the things they talk about is that autistic individuals actually um, may have a superior visual performance skill set. Um, and I know we've come on and talked about 
artistry and things like that um, with autistic individuals. So I, I was really excited that I get to make that plug. Um, and so on top of that, right, so motor is a big factor, visual probably not as much of a big factor. And now what about those higher cognitive functions, right? So what about memory um, and things like that and the ability to shift attention? So what was really interesting is they found that the part of memory that deals with um, manipulating and maintaining information in brief periods of time, that's called working memory. Um, but that, that memory that you use to really think about the moment, think about like what's going on, what you need to do next, all that stuff, um, that that was a big predictor of handwriting um, and, and only in the autistic group. So they didn't see that, that, that part of memory was as much of a factor for our non-autistic group. Um, so super interesting here. We know motor, uh, motor effects are going to be, motor, motor problems are going to also affect handwriting. But then on a, on a higher level here, memory also might be playing an effect. Um, and so as a parent, you know, you, you might be like, we need to focus on motor um, aspects as well for handwriting. But on top of that, you might be able to also encourage memory, working memory as an option to work on. Um, and one of the other things, too, that the researchers mentioned is to make sure that the child has enough time during writing tasks. They did find that the autistic group was taking longer during their writing tasks. They have more time with the pen in the air. And that honestly also could be part of memory, right? If they're taking longer to think about, okay, how do I make that H? How do I go up? How do I go down? How do I make that E next? Um, they were writing in Hebrew, but I'm going to say that. Um, <laughs> and, and so make sure that your child has enough time um, when they're doing writing tasks. Um, it, it's been shown that performance time of written tasks in school also is related to writing quality. So this article didn't talk about like quality of the stories or anything like that. They're just purely talking about handwriting, if it looks different um, and things like that. So um, just make sure, you know, your child has enough time. Um, Motor is gross. Uh, motor functions is going to be important, and also potentially memory is going to be important here as well. And kind of looking at handwriting as this whole all these different things um, that that works. Um, and I'll pause to answer any questions or anything. And then I have one other really cool um, uh, study to talk about with handwriting. But any questions or anything else? No, I'm. I think I'm good. Uh, Nancy, you yeah, good? I was wondering if there's an increased prevalence of low muscle tone with uh, correlated with handwriting and difficulty with handwriting. I, I don't think they. Yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that one. Um, they didn't look at it, unfortunately. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it's a good question. It's a great question. I wish they had, but I, I don't think they. I didn't see anything on that one. Okay. Yeah. Um. And then the other cool thing that I'll mention um, is this really neat study that I found that just came out yeah, uh, last year, 2020, um, that was by Azgur, which I probably also butchered. Um, no one should let me say last names. <laughs> um, but his colleagues looked at, used this thing called a cellulo robot. Um, and the reason I didn't like launch with this study is because this robot is not like in mass production. It's coming out of a research lab. Um, so unfortunately I don't think parents can buy it or anything, but you can always reach out to the group that's doing the cellulo robots and see if there's something you, you, you're interested in. Um, but what they did was they took these robots, which are like, like kind of like a mouse shape. Um, and then they had them um, programmed to like trace a letter basically. And so the children could watch the letter be traced, 
then they could put the hand on the robot and follow it and feel it being traced. Then they could actually move the robot and trace it. Um, and then they also played this really fun game, which sounds fun, um, called Guess the Letter, where the child would follow or, or make the letter. And then his peers or her peers would say, we're trying to guess what the letter is. Um, and this was kind of cool because not only do they make it a game, which is really fun, um, they also make sure that then the second trial, the child got feedback, real-time feedback from their peers to try to make that second that second attempt even clearer and better so that the children could guess it quicker. So you're not only getting feedback, you're also getting cooperation there. Um, and that study found that the children did gain more knowledge on letters um, and, and how to write the letters. Again, this is a robot they're using, so it's not pen and pencil. Um, and it kind of gets away from that potential motor problems that we might see with the letters. Um, and again, it's not in mass production or anything. You can't go out and buy this robot, I don't think. I tried. Um, but it's very, very cool. I want one, and they're cool. <laughs> um, but it, it seemed very cool and interesting, and so I thought I'd plug it to parents um, if this is something that you might be interested in, or if robotics and autism is something that you might be interested in in getting your child in, you can look up the Cellulo robot, C-E-L-L-U-L-O, and it'll take you to the lab page um, and potentially reach out to a lab manager or something. They might get, get you into a study. But thought that was pretty cool and interesting and wanted to plug it if I had a minute. So we do have a couple of comments and questions um, from viewers. Uh, somebody who said, my, my son struggles with writing and you know I, I belong to that club too. It's not all of us, but for those of us that it's a problem, it's a big problem, right? Someone else said, my daughter hates to write and our school has assigned a special teacher now who scribes for her. Seems to clear her mind enough to express what she wants the answers to be, which I think is a really important point that for me, it, we, you know, we were on this trajectory where we were working on writing and writing was being worked on in, com in conjunction with things in school. And we got to the point where it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. We had to take writing out and say, you know, because my son wasn't learning um, grammar and things like that because he couldn't get the writing on the page and they couldn't read it to say, you need to put the noun here and the, we never got to that. So we had to take writing completely out of so many of his lessons and work on it separately, which was, I gotta say, I don't think that the school was really prepared for that. I don't think they had been trained in what, and, and we're still, we still, that's the only issue we have left in school is the handwriting thing. And we removed it. And it, uh, you know, the only accommodation that my son has left is that he gets to use a computer for any test that he is not expected to handwrite anything. If they hand out a worksheet, he gets to type it on a computer. And, and he just types, you know, so if it's question number one, he types one and he types the answer for it, not the whole sentence. Um, if he chooses to, he can do the handwriting, but he always has the choice to do um, the typing. And I really wanna say that to parents because I, when, I, when I think about uh, our, my son who hated writing. Uh, and those, those of you are like, oh, my child hates to write. And my son is now, has been accepted now to two very prestigious college programs for screenwriting and playwriting. Ooh, congratulations. This, is kid, this is the kid who had VIPs because he didn't want to write. But the, when we realized in fifth grade, he wrote a poem and I went, what? What is this poem? And, and it was because the teacher had let him type it. 
And it was the most earth shattering moment for us. We were like, oh, he has something to say. And the actual, you know, what we think of as writing, which is the getting the thoughts on paper, he had that. He still needed short, being shored up for the grammar, but he, it was the, the frustration of writing it that he didn't want to do. Now he can write and he still works on handwriting and it's getting better. But just the other day we saw something that my father had written and my father had the worst handwriting in the world. And my father was very successful. So it doesn't look at all the doctors that have terrible handwriting right, that you right. even read the prescription to help us all. Um, so um, I, I just want to say for some of you who are writing in and saying that your child hates writing, make sure that you are noticing is it the skill of handwriting or the process of writing and don't assume that they're the same. But there is somebody who's writing and saying, you know, how do you get them to actually work on the writing um, because the child doesn't want to write. Um, he can read since he was three. He's five right now, does not want to write, starts screaming if you ask him to write. Um, and I know that you didn't, you weren't asked to do any studies on that, uh, Leah, but is there anything you want? Because I have some suggestions about that, but do you have something too? I mean, my, my first thought is, is if you can try to make it a game, just like that, guess the letter, right? If you just try to guess the letter and the whole family's around and you're like, okay, we're just going to try to guess the letter that might, might, and making it a game might make it fun there. Um, but I, Shannon, I feel like you might even have. Well, so, so here's the funny thing. Years before I had a child, I used to be a teacher. And um, a lot of times I worked with kids who were dyslexic and we didn't have the little colored sheets of paper back then. So what we did was we had little tiny sandboxes and we went to carpet stores and got um, swatches, the, the little samples of carpet that you bring home because they're, and we wanted things that were rough. Um, just like the sand is rough. And so instead of starting with the tripod grasp, because the tripod grasp, you have to have the pincer grasp first, and you have to have the core muscles to sit up and have this whole arm working to do that. And a lot of our kids and the hand-eye play, as Leah was saying, it's too much. So we would start with something that was gratifying for them, which is the touch of the sand or the touch of the the carpet, or in some kids, we made chocolate pudding and put it on paper and they could draw in the pudding. And we had them take one finger and start to draw shapes and have them draw straight lines and squiggles. And with the pudding, if they're not allergic to it, then they can, you know, and that was reinforcing. But the sand for some of the kids made all the difference in the world because it paired a sensation with what they were doing. So we could teach them how to do the letters and how to have them face in the right direction. We did that with Jem and that helped. Eventually then we went back to working on the pincer grasp. So we would take raisins, which he liked, and we'd put them on a tray. And with raisins, in order to pick them up, you have to use the pincer grasp, right? And then eventually we would get to the tripod grasp by taking crayons, regular, not the big fat crayons, because if you have the big fat crayons, kids draw with them like this. This is not the, the tripod grasp. So we would take regular crayons and snap them in half and take the paper off of them. So they're short little crayons. And the only way you can draw with them is to take the pincer grasp. We always had short little golf pencils for him to write with. 
And then the other thing that we got were wiki sticks. Um, they're the they're um, they're like wax uh, covered string, and it's called literally wiki w i k i sticks s t i x. Whenever we go to event, we usually give them away. But you can shape wiki wiki sticks into anything. So our therapist would shape wiki sticks into a J. And so the inside of it, it's like a, a, a J. So the inside of it, they put it on a piece of paper and all my son had to do was stick the pencil, the little golf pencil in the groove and, and he couldn't fail. And, and then they would pull the wiki stick off and he would look and they would show him that he had drawn his name and they would reinforce him for it. And because he couldn't fail, he was willing to do it. It's exhausting. You can also get um, stencils to begin with, but but giving them success because why would they want to do it unless they have some measure of success? So um, there's a wonderful handwriting program that most teachers and schools do now that's called Handwriting Without Tears. And I would also tell you to go on Pinterest and put in fun handwriting activities because that old thing of just sitting and, and doing shapes over and over and over again, our kids don't like it. And if they're not successful at it and there's no reward for doing it, why would anyone want to do it? Um, I love lettering. I, Cause like, to me, it's like a form of art. It's reinforcing to me, but if it's not to your kiddo, um, you wanna be really careful about that because it becomes, as you said, aversive. And when it's aversive, you're going to have to start way back at the beginning, work on early skills and reinforce the hey, nani, nani out of that thing. But that's just the technical term for it, the hey, nani, nani thing. Uh, <laughs> there's another question here. Um, in the study, how did the child hold the pencil? In order to write, she has to use the tripod grasp. What On your study, what did they use? They didn't specify, I don't think, but my guess is, I mean, these are all third, they were all third, they, Israel, so they said third year of school, so I'm going to say they're third graders, um, but they're all third third year students, nine to 12, uh, verbal, already had writing skills, so my guess is they're probably using the tripod gap, they're probably using um, the the tripod gap, gra grasp um, there, um, would be my guess, but I don't think they specified it. And Lucy says, I have my son's OT working on it, which is absolutely, those are the people who should be working on handwriting. And you just reminded me that the other way to get kids to develop the tripod grasp is this has to be very supervised, especially if it's a kiddo who puts things in their mouth, but you have them lay on their tummies on carpet. So you can use that carpet swath again. You take pictures from um, coloring books, you know, cut them out of the coloring book. So it's one piece of paper on laying on the carpet with them on their belly. You give them one push pin and they have to stick the pin in the, the, the black line around the outline. And when they're done, they get to tape it to the window and the window shines through in the design. So that's the reinforcer. But what that does is it, the only way to hold the push pin to do it is with the tripod grasp, but it also helps kids who don't have the core skills because they have to hold themselves up with one arm and their belly helps to hold them up, but it helps to work their upper torso for the, and they love it, but you have to do it on carpet. Otherwise it'll be uh, a singular act of frustration.
but they used to do that all the time. Somebody else says my daughter uses twist and write pencils. I don't know the twist and write pencils. I don't know what that is either. So we're all going to have to Google that. Um, but there's all kinds of fun things too that you can add. That like there are pencils in different shapes. There are pencil grip things. There are um, toppers to put on the pencils that jingle or don't jingle or have feathers or don't have feathers and have fans or don't have fans. Like there's all kinds of ways to make that stuff reinforcing. We had to get the SpongeBob SquarePants pencils, right? And then we had to get the electric pencil sharpener because he loved to put the SpongeBob SquarePants into the electric pencil sharpener. You, you make it like as fun as you possibly can. Uh, and uh, Mary says you can get the twist and write pencils on Amazon. So everybody that's interested can check that out. But I think it's so fascinating. I know when my son started high school, one of the, you know, as I said, we had it written into his, you know, now it's 504, but at the time IEP that he could use a computer. First day of high school, we get the message from the new social studies teacher who says to parents, by the way, you're all, you know, I know at my son's school, every kid gets a computer. Uh, to do all their work on. So I was like, this is great. We're not going to have a problem with the handwriting thing. Uh, and then the first day that comes home the note saying all students will be required to take their Cornell notes by hand. Mm -hmm. And this very diligent teacher sends home, you would love this, Leah, she sends home a study with the syllabus saying why you have to take your notes by hand. And, and this poor woman, like, didn't know who she was dealing with as mom. So I sent back, I said, oh, that's lovely. But here's my study that shows that kids with autism, their pen is off the paper longer. So they miss things and they don't, their notes are not effective because of it. So where, where shall we meet in the middle? And she was a great teacher and read the study. Cause you know, a lot of teachers would be like, thanks, you know, and not read it. But she read the study and she was like, okay, I don't know what to do now. And we compromised. I, I read her study and went, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. So we agreed that he would take his notes uh, with his own handwriting so that he would have the cognitive connection that she wanted, but that he would not study from his notes. She would give him a copy of the typed notes from which to study. So That's he would compromise. Right. So he didn't get left out of taking, you know, good notes. He had the practice of taking the Cornell notes. Um, had that connection. And she was like, oh, that'll work for you. And I was like, yeah, that'll work for me. That works for you. And it was great. And he was successful in the class. Um, so I do encourage parents, it's like, you know, talk it out, be a team. If you have an OT working on the team, they are really the person who has the lion's share of the responsibility for any goals that are on your child's IEP for handwriting. Um, sometimes like Nancy, I know you have known some really great OTs over the years. Mm -hmm. One in particular that you had that was just, you know, sometimes you get the right OT and they are brilliant. They're problem solvers. They're wonderful. And then sometimes you have OTs that aren't worth the piece of paper they're printed on. <laughs> and I'll, I'll throw in this research. Actually, the, this, it was coming out of the department of OT in Haifa. So that it, yeah, OTs can be oh. amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I love Pinterest. I don't know if you ladies are on Pinterest. Whenever mm -hmm. I need an idea for something, how to teach it to anybody, 
myself included. I'm on Pinterest. I, I It seems like teachers have really taken to Pinterest and it's a place where they share information. And sometimes they sell it on Pinterest. Like they'll say, I have this thing that I made and I'll sell it to you for $1.99. Uh, I love that stuff. I love supporting a teacher. Yeah, Nancy. Lucy, Lucy wrote in and said her OT, I think, and she said, mine seems good. She gave him extended wrist activities. Oh, there you go. Because maybe that's part of what they're seeing is that the wrist um, is, is something, it's different for everybody, right? Right. There's so uh, much that goes into it. Wrist, core, head, all of it. it it's basically a full body activity. She said uh, distal mobility activities. I don't even know what distal mobility what activities is. <laughs> uh, thank goodness we have OTs to help us with this kind of stuff. And I do love a good OT, man. I absolutely love a good OT. But a lot of that stuff is on Pinterest, you guys. But if it isn't reinforcing, think about like, okay, let's just take a, a, a brief poll here. So what, what when you have downtime, what do you like to do, Leah? I'm putting you on the spot. Like um, what? Yeah. I, I will either run or read or watch TV. Oh, aren't you evolved? Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, recorded. I have to say these things. <laughs> okay. Nancy, what about you? What do you like to do with your downtime? With my downtime, I like to be outdoors, go for a hike or a walk. Uh, I also like to read and okay. I like to watch, you yeah. know, the streaming Netflix series. I'm always discovering new, new stuff to watch. I used to love to read and I come from a long line of families who read since COVID. I can't read. Oh, I, I cannot concentrate. I am having a terrible time reading. I just can't, I, you know, there's too many things going and you would think it's like the ideal time to read. I can't read, but I have this stupid app on my phone that is the stupidest thing on the face of the planet. It's um, it's pictures and it's like a paint by number, but you just tap the color and it puts the color. I don't even have to think about what color should go here. It's not a coloring book where I get to choose. It tells me the color. It says color number 12 goes here and I have to tap the color 12. It's mindless. It is absolutely mindless. And I do at least a picture a day. Now, there are some people that I know that would be like, that is mindless and that would make me crazy and I can't possibly do that. They would say, this is, this is Shannon, this is stupid. You're wasting your time. Doing it. But it's calming to me, meditative for me. Now, I would, I, both of you are runners. Uh, to me, that is the seventh ring of hell. I, I, I will and, some, you know, I sometimes can run not far but I can't get my mind to get into that meditative place to continue to do it for longer than five minutes. And, and my point here is we all like things. And if you forced me to be a person who ran every day, I would be an unhappy person. Uh, now, I know that you guys would say that there are things that could be done to help me to enjoy running and to help me to get into that mind space, but I'd have to be willing to do it. And so our assumption that writing should be fun for kids, I think is outlandish. Mm -hmm. And who, I, I would like to, you know, straw pool of people watching, who here likes to do something you're not good at? I don't know anybody. Oh, yes. 
Um, so I think it's important that we, we make it reinforcing for them if they must do it. Take it away if you're at the point where you can take it away, make it a side thing, but reinforce it when you do do it and try to make it fun. This is my advice. Yeah. Uh, one quick other thing I know when you were talking about um, putting something down on the table and then them having brought it. Um, I was, I grew up in th third grade. We did a uh, shaving cream. We did oh, shaving cream. Great sensory. Yeah. I loved it. I totally like, you could put shave. I still would love someone to put shaving cream. I mean, I guess I could do myself, but totally loved it. Yeah. There you go. Um, so all these different things that you can do and add that sensory element to it. We're out of time. We went oh. past time because I was too verbose. But uh, Leah, thank you so much. Um, I, I think that next month we're having Karen. So we'll see you again in April. Is that accurate? Yep, that's so, exactly right. Uh, April, Autism Awareness Month. So we'll look forward to what you bring on in that month. Oh, there's thank a lot you. of pressure. Yeah. That's too much pressure. Anyway, thank you guys so thank much you. for having me. It's always a pleasure. Thank okay, you bye -bye. so much. And Nancy, uh, yes, we are so glad that you are here with us today. Next week on the program, we're going to have Kurt Manichek. I don't know if you've been on with him before. He no, writes, I have not. He writes the books uh, for, for teens, um, Smile and Success, and uh -huh. teaches them social skills um, through his books and through his courses that help them to be successful getting and keeping jobs. So right. we're going to look forward to having him on next week. Uh, also next week on the Thursday show, we have a dentist who's going to be on and talk about dental care for folks on the spectrum during COVID, which I think is super important. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have Dr. Grampy Shea on. And on Monday, as far as I know, we're having Bonnie Yates back to do that uh, one-on-one crash course on how do you file due process yourself without a lawyer. Should be fascinating. Thank you, everyone. Uh, I love Lucy says my son is interested in making up jokes lately. So he, uh, so give him a notepad to write them down. What a great thing to do. What a great way to get him interested in writing. Thank you everybody. We'll see you on Monday. Have a good weekend until if your kiddos a hug from me and give yourselves a hug from me. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye for now. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.